Hello! Welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. And for those of you who are here live today, we're going to talk comics. We're going to talk about comics that came out today. We're going to talk about what's going on in the world of comics. We're going to talk about comics that I'm enjoying. And of course, as always, we're going to enjoy the comics. Thank you, everybody who's here live. Right, get in your questions, get in your thoughts. The comics today are relatively sparse in terms of all the details and such that we need to talk about. So if you got topics you want to address, you got questions for me, definitely we can tackle some of those. Today, comics came out on the X-Men side of things. The Judgment Day tie-ins were X-Force number 31, X-Men number 14, and Knights of X number 5. We can talk about all of those. Some spoilers may follow if you are here listening live. First off, thank you. Second off, let me know if there's any issues with audio or video. There are no issues with this sweet one-week beard we got going on. Less than one week, really. Um, little baby beard going. It's coming back. Don't worry. I, mean, I know people freaked out last week <laughs> at the absence of a beard. Don't you worry. It's coming back, and it's coming back great. Come back great. I always love this stage, the in-between. Um, you know, it's like if I could keep the maybe one, one-and-a-half-week beard uh, structure and, and visage uh, permanently, I probably would, but I've never perfected that. So you just got to let it go, and you just got to you just gotta ride a good, strong beard. Now that I've got like a boar brush and some oil and such, you can really keep a beard for a longer period of time, right? Like it's much easier than in the old days when I didn't have that equipment. It gets all itchy. It got hot. It was like, what am I doing? You'd have to shave it off more regularly. I don't have that problem anymore, and I know you were all concerned, which is why I address it. So I appreciate you all um, showing up, and of course, you know, given that beard update status, we'll update again next week, and you'll see what a, you know, almost two-week beard looks like. We can go on this journey together, and I'm excited to do so. So <laughs> in the meantime, we're going to talk about some comics. First thing I want to talk about, actually, something I literally just read. It is not even an X-Men comic. It is a short story in Amazing Fantasy number 1000 that came out today, which is a celebration of what would be the 1000th issue of the title that Spider-Man debuted in, right? In Amazing Fantasy number 15, I believe in 1963. Um, and so it's a celebration of Spider-Man, and it's a bunch of different creators telling relatively short Spider-Man stories, uh, including including Sandman's own Neil Gaiman shows up for a jaunt. But right before that, we get our guy, our Lord and House of X Savior, Jonathan Hickman, writing a Spider-Man short with the amazing artist on Daredevil currently with Chip Zdarsky, Marco Cicchetto, you got Frank Martin Collars, and Joe Sabino. Um, it's a really good story. I, I almost was like, oh, whatever, like the, the Moon Knight thing and Moon Knight Black, Red, White, and Blood with, with Chris Pacella that Hickman did was kind of, you know, it was fine, it was interesting, but it's not going anywhere. Um, with this one, I was like, oh, maybe I'll get to it someday. We'll see. I'm glad I read it. It's really fun. It's a really good Spider-Verse story. Uh, it's short. You know, it's maybe eight pages or something like that. But if you were on the fence about reading it, I would recommend that you do. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything more than to say it's a Spider-Verse story. Um, but it captures just the essence of Peter Parker. It definitely is the type of story where it's like, oh, man, like a Hickman Chiquetto Spider-Man run would be so exciting. <laughs> it would be so exciting, especially the illusions and the spaces that they're playing in. Although, uh, very referential with Hickman's Fantastic Four run, right? So there'd be some, is this, are we are we beating the same drum there? That run would be amazing. I would love that. It's not going to happen. Uh, and, and such is the world. <laughs> Instead, we of course have the, um, the Zeb Wells ongoing Amazing Spider-Man. That's one of the first questions we have here, actually. I'd like to hear your opinion on Zeb Wells' amazing run. 
especially number 900. Now, I have not, I don't think, caught up on number 900 yet, so I don't think I can address that. I did read the first arc, and I've kind of been, I put together the tentative guide to Dark Web, which is going to be, that's up on CBH right now. So if you Google, like, Dark Web reading order, um, you know, I'm sure, sure we can find that somewhere. But hang on. Hang on. Okay, never mind. I'm getting distracted. Um, so the dark web reading order is up. I'm putting that together. That's going to be a crossover this fall between Spider-Man, X-Men, and, uh, Venom. Okay. And it's going to spiral out of the Wells Amazing Spider-Man in so many ways. It's going to be a crossover where Madeline Pryor and Ben Riley are teaming up. Ben Riley's currently going by Chasm. He was the focal point, kind of the main spider of sorts. Uh, Ben Riley being the clone of Peter Parker, or is he, right? Clone Saga from the 90s. Um, he's now going by Chasm. He's had another falling out. He, Ben's just constantly having falling outs and turning slightly evil. Um, but it's it, there was a setup in Free Comic Book Day between Ben Riley and Madeline Pryor being the evil tw- clones of Jean Grey and Peter Parker, respectively, um, getting together to get revenge on their various accusers. Uh, so that's like kind of the premise, but also that doesn't make a ton of sense, especially if you've seen what's going on with Madeline Pryor in the pages of New Mutants. Um, how you get from there to here is, is interesting, right? There's, there's debate to be had. Okay. So all of that is to say, uh, Zeb Wells wrote Hellions, which was, I mean, looking back, probably my favorite X-Men run of the Krakoa era. I think those 18 issues are probably the best run of the era. And, uh, and now he's over on Amazing Spider-Man, much, much deserved promotion. He's also written an uh, episode of She-Hulk. He's one of the writers, uh, I think the seventh episode is credited to Zeb Wells, so I'm very curious to see what that's like. Um, that's the, the She-Hulk MCU Disney Plus stuff. Uh, but it, The Amazing Spider-Man's been solid, not great so far, I would say. Um, I like it more than the Nick Spencer, Ryan Otley run, uh, which I think stagnated for, for a good long while. Um, I think it's off to a solid but not great start, definitely. Uh, I, I'm... Very curious how this dark web crossover is going to play because, you know, this is something I talked about in previous streams, the sense that if you're looking for a core of the Marvel Universe right now, it actually makes the most sense to run it through what's going on in Krakoa and with the X-Men. Like, that is the the most exciting, most interesting stuff in the Marvel Universe, and those tendrils should kind of extend to the rest of the Avengers, Spider-Man, etc. Like, kind of all roads should go through Krakoa, not just the X-Men stuff. Um, in terms of kind of what is the core of where things are going, the Marvel Universe is always at its best when there is a semblance of a narrative center, okay? I always think about this during the Bendis-helmed years of 2004 to 2010 with New Avengers driving the Marvel Universe towards things like House of M and Secret Invasion and Dark Reign, Right? Whether you like those events or not is not the point. The point is there's a center and there's a feeling of purpose and strategy behind everything that I think is very valuable. I tend to like those eras of Marvel Comics the most. Um, the Hickman era of, of Fantastic Four, especially into Avengers and New Avengers, in that build to Secret Wars, right? That's a clear center where everything is going. The Marvel Universe has in many ways lacked that since Secret Wars, you know, in terms of the build and the drive, these events um, sometimes just pop up out of the blue just to have an event, a la Civil War II. Sometimes they are driven 
by a run that is more self-contained, a la War of the Realms, right? Which is very, very Thor-focused and better for it, right? I'm not arguing against it, um, but it doesn't, that didn't feel like the center of the Marvel Universe, okay? Judgment Day is getting closer to that, getting closer to that, but it's also simultaneously, it's an Eternals event um, with a side of X-Men and like a little palate cleanser of Avengers, like a tiny little palate cleanser of Avengers, right? It's not a big one. Um, but I think roads leading through Krakoa, you can get back to that center. That is the most interesting story because of how big House and Powers were and because of how good that story is, right? Uh, all of which is a long way of saying, I'm very curious to see how Amazing Spider-Man is going to function and flow through Dark Web. I hope that it can pull it off. I'm really curious what the post-Hellfire Gala tie-in issue <laughs> that still hasn't come out where Spider-Man and Wolverine are going to be chasing uh, Moira X in Mary Jane Watson's body <laughs> and how that's going to play out. I think if all those issues are like pretty good, I'm going to have a much better feeling for what's going on and, and how invested I am in Amazing Spider-Man. Right now, it's a run for me that I'm not reading month to month. Um, I'm catching up kind of as stories come together. It's more of a Marvel Unlimited catch-up book for me right now. Not a knock on it, um, but it's uh, it's definitely not, you know, a weekly, monthly book for me. I mean, honestly, I mean, that's why I talk about the stuff on here. But generally speaking, on the Marvel side, with Eternals being done, the only books that I'm keeping up with regularly right now for Marvel that I wouldn't just be like, oh, I'll just go back and catch up on those later would be obviously like with Judgment Day and doing the read order, reading order on CBH, you know, all the Judgment Day tie-ins, but mostly the X-Men books, right, are a part of that. And of course, I'm keeping up with all the X-Men stuff. Um, but the stuff that I'm just reading, like, because I want to and to enjoy is pretty sparse. I mean, it's Defenders Beyond right now. Um, what else? I think that's about it. Like everything else is like, oh, I'll catch up on that. You know, um, I mean, really, really my big favorite Marvel book, because Sabretooth is done. That was, that's a favorite of the year. The Thing is done. That was a favorite of the year. Um, Eternals is done. That was, you know, sort of, right? Judgment Day is a continuation. That was a favorite. But, like, the Marvel stuff that I'm keeping up with, just because I like it and because I want to be, I would say Immortal X-Men, X-Men Red. Um, who did I just say? Uh, the one I just said that now I can't think of. <laughs> oh, Defenders Beyond, right? All the crazy cosmic stuff Al Ewing's doing. Um, and probably some others I'm forgetting. I mean, I've got a best of Marvel of the year so far. Uh, Dare Daredevil... Normally would be there. I love the Zdarsky Chiquetto run up to Dark Rain. Um, Dark Rain definitely, uh, it's fine. It's fine as an event, but I, I put it on pause. That's a that's a book that I go and catch up with. I actually, I think it just reads better as a binge, as as most comics do, frankly. Um, but no, that's not one I'm like. I feel like I need to read every week. Although I'm confident it's going to get really cool again. Um, just covers alone. You know, I see uh, uh, Zdarsky and Chiquetto. Like, I have full confidence that that team is putting together a really good Daredevil comic. So that's a run I'm excited to catch up on in the future. I've, the Venom stuff from Al Ewing and Ron B, like two creators I love, feels like a book that I should be way more in on. I read the first arc, you know, for six issues or whatever, and I'm just very on the fence about it. It all feels, none of it's grabbing me, you know? It feels like a run that I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna catch up on at some point, but I've just, every time I've tried so far, it has underwhelmed me um she hulk by rainbow rowell i think was interesting but but not one of my faves so yeah like i don't know there's not a ton a ton of weekly marvel stuff that i'm like dying to read right now although i think in general the line is like 
healthy enough. I don't know. I mean, I think part of the problem now is like, I have no interest in what's going on in Avengers and those connected books, right? Um, Fantastic Four, until it, once it relaunches with Ryan North at the helm, I'm going to be super interested. That reminds me, there's a Fantastic Four book out today from Alex Ross, legendary Alex Ross, the artist behind, you know, the likes of uh, Marvels and, and EarthX and all sorts of great stuff. Um, it's really cool. It's really cool. It's weird, though, because, so it's like a graphic novel, right? It's not via Marvel Comics. It's via Abrams Comics Arts, who's been releasing, like, super cool stuff. Um, they license, you know, certain Marvel things. So for whatever reason, the licensing works out where this is not a part of Marvel Comics, but it's very much in continuity with Marvel in the sense that it's like a direct follow. I mean, it's, I don't know if it's in continuity, but it's playing off of Marvel continuity of the 60s. It's playing off of this man, this monster, a.k.a. Fantastic Four, what is that, number 51, um, by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. So Alex Ross is doing his riff on like a what if kind of post this man, this monster story. If you've never read it, it's one of the best Marvel comics of all time. One of the best Lee Kirby Fantastic Four issues. Um, it really heavily deals with Ben Grimm's depression over becoming the thing. And uh, I, I won't even say more than that. But um, what happens is Alex Ross is like playing off the events of that and bringing a character back who we see in that issue who we think is gone. And uh, it's really great looking. It's really interesting. If you can check it, it's called Fantastic Four Full Circle. Um, I, I read uh, half of it, and it's really cool, and I love the concept, and it's really fascinating looking. It's very Kirby-esque, but in that Alex Ross modern way. It doesn't look, definitely doesn't look the same as like his, his hyper-detailed painterly work that he's probably most well-known for. Um, it, it looks more like him doing a Kirby thing, but in his own way. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, I, I recommend checking that one out. Okay. So I don't even know how we got on that that track, but of course... Oh, the question about uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. Just what's good at Marvel. Um, I'm seeing Legions of X nominated here. N no. <laughs> that is like my least favorite X-Men comic right now. Um, try Captain America Sentinel of Liberty. I'm seeing from Braden. Yeah, I need to read that one. I need to catch up on that one. I've been hearing good things. Uh, I have I have no notes because I've read not a single issue of it so far, but I definitely need to need to check that out. You know, the other book I, I finally caught up on is um, uh, Sandman Universe Nightmare Country. It's the James Tynion written uh, Corinthian book, essentially. Um, I still haven't watched a second of Sandman. I fully intend to because I've heard nothing but great things. Um, but this Corinthian book, it's very fun. It's a nice return. It's doing a lot of riffing off of the original game in Sandman. Um, of course, the serial killer convention, you know, in the, in the Dollhouse arc, the second arc of Sandman. Uh, if you like Sandman stuff, check out this Corinthian arc. Again, the book is called Nightmare Country. There's five issues out right now. Uh, it feels more like a, like a full-on Sandman endless kind of sequel than I think a lot of the Sandman universe stuff has been allowed to do. You know, the Sandman universe stuff, there's a lot of dealing with like there's not a lot of endless, necessarily, presence. You know, it's dealing in the spaces in between and all the world in between, which can lead to some good stuff. Um, the Sysburrier and Bill Cassively, The Dreaming, was was pretty cool for a minute. Uh, but uh, but this one feels more like you get, you know, you're going to get some cameos of the endless. Um, but it's but it's mostly a Corinthian thing. It's about the nightmares. It's dark. It's It's got kind of twisted black humor to it. Um, it's cool. It's a cool book. I'm, I'm definitely was enjoying that one. I don't know if it's like a favorite of the year kind of book, but I definitely enjoyed it. 
Uh, all right, let's see. What else do we got? What do we got before we get to the comics today? Got some questions about the X-Men Unlimited series. Uh, this week it was kind of surprising. So X-Men Unlimited, this is the um, Webtoons-esque, like scrolling. Uh, you know, you just you just thumb up and down kind of comic. Um, Marvel Unlimited's been publishing this for 50 straight weeks now, I think, X-Men Unlimited. Uh, I've caught up with it in recent weeks, and it's really flipping good at times. Like, it, it started out very weak, which is funny because it started with a Jonathan Hickman and Declan Shelby Wolverine story, which, like, on paper sounds amazing, but in practice was bad. <laughs> it was super boring, and it didn't do anything. It looked fine. Declan Shelby's art is fine, and it plays in the space, and it does some interesting things with the fact that it's a vertical scroller, um, but the story itself is like, no thank you. Uh, but the, since that time, since that time, X-Men Unlimited has gotten really interesting. Um, I'm especially in love with the stories that Alex Pachnadel has written. Uh, there's a maggot story in here that is really amazing. Uh, there's a Doug Ramsey story that I love. And yes, the most recent issue is written by Steve Fox, who also is writing uh, the X-Men 92 House of X series, which we're going to talk about today, because I caught up on that, and it is unbelievably fun. It is unbelievably fun. I'm reading, I'm enjoying the heck out of it. Um, but the 50th issue is, basically, it's the Secret X-Men. Remember how last year after the Hellfire Gala, there was a one-shot written by Teeny Howard, it was called Secret X-Men, and it was all the X-Men the candidates to be on the X-Men team who lost the vote and they got to go on their own adventure and it, it was kind of a big nothing. Um, but it's that concept and it's it's brought back here for X-Men Unlimited. And it's fun. I love it being used in this space in X-Men Unlimited. I'm, I'm really enjoying how these, uh, these you know, tie-in weekly comics are able to sort of explore the crevices and, and characters that we otherwise would not get to spend time with, right, just in the week-to-week -week issues. I think that's a fantastic idea. So I think, like, yeah, it, it is a really good idea to do the quote-unquote X-Losers in X-Men Unlimited. Again, the stakes are very low, right? It's just like, oh, okay, this, this week it's a scrollable comic about this. Um, it's a great fit for it. I like it as an annual tradition. I think that's cool, right? If you're going to do the Hellfire Gala, as this annual tradition, you can also do the X losers every year, and it's um it's a good time. It's a good time. I'm seeing here from Bill: Is X Men Green heading to a soft reboot after Curse Cursed Nature Girl? Uh, no. I mean, no. I I don't I don't think so. So X Men Green is definitely the most controversial <laughs> of the X Men Unlimited comics. This is the one, and I've talked about it sporadically, but Nature Girl, who before this point, I only knew from the Christina Strain written Generation X as like a really cool character, um, but generally not a Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, we have to kill all humans kind of terrorist, <laughs> right? And in X-Men Green, she has broken bad, very hard in that direction, uh, specifically because, you know, she's tied to nature and she's seeing humanity destroy nature and, and you know, destroy the climate in so many ways which are valid concerns, right? Valid, valid concerns. Um, but she has turned incredibly murderous to the point that she is on the lam now with Curse, this like little kid mutant who can just curse people by saying it. it's kind of like Preacher Jesse Custer, but just if he was just a dick all the time. Um, and, uh, and Sauron, who's of course everyone's favorite dinosaur-obsessed non-dinosaur, ironically. He's a pterosaur, let's be clear. Let's be clear, Sauron. All right, Carl. 
Um, but so they're just like traveling around burning people alive and destroying stuff. Um, they've been hanging out with horde culture. The series actually, so it starts out, it's a Jerry Duggan written thing. And it's kind of like, okay, weird, weird idea. Um, interesting. It's, it, you know, it's not my favorite. And then it got in the hands of Carla Pacheco and Steve Orlando. And they've been having a blast with it and doing big wild stuff. Steve Orlando too in these pages, like he unveiled Judas Traveler is a member of Orcus, apparently. Judas Traveler is like a weird 90s Spider-Man callback. If you've read um, the Clone Saga, it's the start of the Clone Saga. You get some Judas Traveler stuff there. I think it's a Jim DeMatteis creation. Um, anyway, it's gotten interesting. Are they rebooting it? No, I don't I don't think so. Um, I think, uh, I mean, here's the thing. The only, the only if you're going to go down this road, which, so like the Quiet Council because the, the big thing with all this is, you know, Curse and Nature Girl are killing humans, right? Violation of one of the Kirkland laws, right? Clearly they should be in the pit, whatever the status of that is now with Sabretooth. We don't really know. Um, they tried that, but Dougie uh, bailed them out for whatever reason, sent them on their way, right? Because of his connections to Krakoa. So they got out. So that's why they're still out in the world. But I think any resolution that isn't like Nature Girl accounting for what has happened <laughs> is a real weak ending. Um, you can't just wash away like, oh, she was brainwashed the whole time. None of it's her fault. It's a it's a little bit like Dark Phoenix Jean, you know, where like, yes, she was Dark Phoenix possessed, but she still kind of has to deal with the trauma and, and the fact that it was her who killed all those broccoli people. Right, so I think that's going to be part of the struggle with Nature Girl from here on forward. Um, I I don't. It's not uninteresting. I mean, I think one thing that we, I think, are increasingly going to see is this Krakoan promise has kind of fallen apart a little bit. Certainly within the Quiet Council, right? The promise of Krakoa is as the mutant paradise. It it's not holding up. You know, these are flawed individuals who set this thing up, specifically Professor X and Magneto. I think we're going to see more and more mutants beginning to recognize that outside of the Quiet Council. Um, and you're, that means you're going to have more people being like, forget this. Why am I playing by these rules? They're not fair. They're ridiculous. They're ludicrous. They're, they're you know, you get Sabretooth in the Exiles sort of questioning all of that, right? Um, Nature Girl is an interesting foray into that being like, you know, she's kind of the first mutant to behave badly, right? By Krakoan standards out in the world, she's an embarrassment to Krakoa and to the Quiet Council, clearly. Um, so it's it's an interesting idea still. I'm, I'm, I think washing it away with like, a, oh, she was tricked by curse this whole time, it's kind of weak. It's kind of weak. I think if you're going to do it, commit to it and have it be a thing. Because again, like her motivations are she is connected to a planet which is being haphazardly destroyed for pretty bad reasons generally. That is, that is a conversation and a story that you can tell intelligently. Um, walking away from that with a, with a shortcut is probably a mistake. Let's do this. It's water time, baby. <sighs> That's the stuff. All right. Did you ever read the Iceman Unlimited story? I did. I, I don't remember if I talked about it last week or not. Um, but that's another one I caught up on. Marvel, I think that's a part of... So that's actually not in X-Men Unlimited. That is in, I think, Marvel Voices. Their Unlimited has their own stories. The first four issues by... And I'm going to butcher this. I think the artist's name is Luciano. And apologies if I got that way wrong. Um, they're really good. They're really good Iceman stories. Uh, I, I enjoyed it tremendously. There are some fantastic moments 
and good jokes. It's all about Iceman coming into his own as a gay man and as an Omega-level mutant. Um, it actually very neatly segues and transitions into what we see today in X-Men number 14 with Jerry Duggan and C.F. Villa and Matt Miller and Clayton Cowles, which is, I would say, the best, well, definitely the best Judgment Day tie-in today um, about Iceman sort of recognizing, like, I am so ridiculously powerful and really coming to terms with that. I mean, Iceman's a fascinating character because he is original five X-Men material. He has such a legacy of being on the X-Men teams, also being a part of original X-Factor, um, a really, really interesting character to do more with. I'm glad to see him getting the spotlight. But yeah, I thought those four issues were, were really fun. I enjoyed that. I, I definitely also, even more than that, enjoyed, I think it's the Anthony Olivieri, again, apologies on pronunciation, um, there's the Young Avengers story that comes shortly after that in Marvel Voices. It rules. It's really good. If you like the Young Avengers, check out Marvel Voices because like the first issue of that in particular, so cool. So cool, the stuff it does with Iron Lad and uh, some Doctor Doom stuff, which you know I'm a sucker for. Um, yeah, no, like I've been, I'd say X-Men Unlimited, um, Marvel Voices Unlimited, and what else? I think those are the ones. I think those are the ones where I was like, oh, there's like really good story here, you know? And then there's like QT, just like knock out some time, you know, Alligator Loki, Jeff the Lion Shark, and that sort of thing. You know, but like those, there's good stories in those. So I, I definitely enjoyed that. All right. Let's see. What other questions we got before we talk about these issues specifically? Again, there's not a heck of a lot to say about these specifically. Um, is there any news about the new Hickman project? Uh, Y'all tell me. If anybody here in the comments knows anything about the new Hickman Marvel project, let us know. Let us know. Uh, now that Uncanny has been over for like three years, does anyone else think it's time we combined 1963's Uncanny Legacy numbering and 1991's X-Men? It would be up to issue 976 this week if they did. I bet Marvel wants to do that because <laughs> it means they can publish a 1,000 issue, um, and make some money. I, I mean, listen, I'm not, as, as much as I love continuity and as obsessed as I can get about continuity... I actually don't super care about legacy numbering. Um, I think it's better that they keep it, and I think they finally recognize that. You know, it's a, it is a tradition that is truly rare to the medium of comics, right? Like, you don't, you just don't have stories that try to retain numbering <laughs> and counting for that long over that long a period of time. It just represents the, the scale and the scope of these stories in a way that, that in, in the simplest way, right? Just to say there have been a thousand of these over the last 60 years or whatever. Um, I think combining Uncanny X-Men and X-Men would actually kind of be weird. I think it would kind of be a mistake because Uncanny X-Men didn't stop in 1991. Uncanny X-Men kept going alongside in parallel to X-Men, which then ran as its own series. So I, I would not do that. Um, you know, and the X-Men series is not just a 90s thing, right? It carries on into the 2000s. Um, and has since been rebooted, of course, in this era. I mean, I think the way I would flip the question is to say, when is it time for an Uncanny X-Men book in the Krakoa era, right? It's a little strange, actually, that there has not been a book called Uncanny X-Men. Uh, does that mean anything? Like, what does that mean, right? What should the difference between X-Men and Uncanny X-Men be? I think that's a difficult thing to answer. I mean, to my mind at least in this era, 
And I think it kind of applies to the 90s as well, especially the Jim Lee start of things, right? In the early 90s, X-Men represents like the superhero team book. That is the book about who's on the official X-Men squad and the team. I think Uncanny X-Men can better deal with, if you look at it in the Claremontian vein, of what is the soap opera going on between all of the mutants sort of engaged and around these issues and what's going on, you know? So it's kind of like a social hangout book of everything that's going on inside players, and then X-Men is sort of the official superhero team standard battle stuff, you know? Maybe, maybe. But at what point do you relaunch Uncanny, right? You have to have a reason for that, I think. Um, and it's, it's going to make some waves because the book's been you know, canceled, quote unquote, since 2019, right? Which is definitely odd in, in Marvel terms. Uh, let's see. Did Teeny Howard make the landing on this Knights of X Excalibur despite some fumbles? So Knights of X came out today. Teeny Howard, we got art by Bob Quinn. Bob Quinn's been killing it. I, I really like Bob Quinn's art. I think he did a really nice job on this. Um, Knights of X is a pretty good ending. It's a pretty good ending to the saga. I would suspect that if you've been a fan of this series to this point, you were into this ending. That'd be my guess, right? I can't speak for that crowd because I'm not, right? Obviously. Um, but I do feel like it was a solid landing. Like it, it set up, you know, the build here was clearly, okay, Betsy's going to have a new role as Captain Britain. She's going to have to solidify her own and a Krakoan presence in Otherworld. They're going to have to take out Merlin, maybe Saturnine, to do that. And Knights of X kind of gets us to that point. On paper, on paper, I really like the way that finally unveiling the kingdom of Mercator, which is the, the kingdom of Absalon Mercator, a.k.a. Mr. M, an Omega-level matter manipulator, a mutant, the only Omega-level mutant we had not seen uh, until Knights of X started coming out. Um, I like the reveal here in the fifth issue, and this will contain some spoilers, that he has been protecting the Siege Perilous. That actually, like, all of his territory is, like, Siege Perilous stuff. And he's been doing that on Apocalypse's request, apparently. That's a nice callback, right? With Apocalypse as the mystic, as sort of the magic man now, um, of, of looking out for that, you know, protecting mutants against the magic side of things. Uh, on paper, I really like that approach. Uh, that's a nice, nice idea, I think, and a good way of using that character. But also, like, Teeny Howard clearly either has an affinity for or did the research <laughs> on classic Australia-era Claremont and also Excalibur with Alan Davis, right? Like, this is a massive, I guess, love letter to that era of comics, I mean, one dirty secret I have, certainly, as a big fan of the Claremont X-Men, is the Claremont Alan Davis Excalibur stuff is never my favorite. Never my favorite. Um, there are moments I like, and there's a lot of stuff I really don't. Uh, so I think it's it's increasingly unsurprising to me that this run didn't blow my mind because uh, that, that old stuff that is highly regarded didn't either. And this is very much a spiritual sequel you know, to, to that. Um, so I think as a spiritual sequel to that, I can see the effectiveness. I can see how this landed for those fans. Um, and again, I can increasingly see why it didn't for me because I'm not especially a fan of 
those old Excalibur comics anyway, which are, are pretty well regarded. Um, a lot of people absolutely adore them. So, yeah, I mean, I thought it landed okay. I mean, I think the, you know, last week or whenever it was, um, you know, I was pretty uh, pretty unwilling to engage with the idea that Gambit had died <laughs> in, a, in a previous issue, which I guess is how the issue set it up. But it's like, that was so obviously a short-term thing. Um, it's also like, this is the era where death is meaningless in Kirkon comics. So the, why that would be left as a plot thread did not feel particularly believable or important. Uh, and of course, that's what we saw here in Knights of X is there's a, a whole big show of it, but the long and short of it is, yeah, Gambit's back. Of course he is. Um, so like what actually happened, what actually changed? <sighs> I mean, not a ton, <laughs> but I guess Otherworld is tentatively safer for mutants now. Um, the Captain Britain core has more to do. There's a potential Captain Britain sequel that could come out of this, uh, which again could be really interesting, right? I think the fact that Betsy is Captain Britain and also all the multiversal Captain Britons are Betsy's and mutants potentially, uh, could lead to some really interesting stories. Um, so yeah, like I thought, I thought Knights of X was, was generally solid. I think it, it said it accomplished what it set out to. They just aren't ever going to be some of my favorite comics or anything like that. Um, I'm seeing from the comments here, the last issue felt rushed. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, I, I don't, I've, I've seen this comment about uh, House of X as well. The, um, not the, not the real one, the, the, um, the X-Men 92 version. And it's like, when a thing declares it's a five issue mini, like, know that, <laughs> like, accept that. <laughs> like, it's not going to have more space than that. Now the creators have to play within that space intelligently, right? And tell the story that they want to tell. Um, but like, I, I keep seeing fans be like, oh, it felt, you know, felt fast in that fifth issue. It's like, yeah, it was always going to be a five issue mini. We knew that going into it. That's not a surprise. Uh, can the mutants fix wrong slide and Gorgon now? I, that didn't feel addressed to me. That didn't feel, I don't feel like we got a good answer on that. Um, I would say the answer is still no. That they don't really know how to do it. Although with Otherworld being maybe more approachable now, maybe that means you could go there and actually figure that out. Uh, there is a Gorgon moment in the uh, the Secret X-Men thing on X-Men Unlimited. And he's, you know, he's clearly infantilized. Um, if that's a word, right? He's, first off, he's very nervous about going to parties, so never connected to the, to that, uh, Hydra agent more. <laughs> right. Um, but like, I, I would like to see those characters returned. I feel like that beat, it, it's kind of run out of legs. This whole wrong sliding Gorgon thing with these, like these characters are, are tertiary enough in the X-Men landscape that they can just be ignored for long stretches of time, which rock slide was for a real long time. Right. Like there's not a main, there's not much focus on like, what's their deal? What's going on? It's just not that interesting, I suppose. Like they got messed up on resurrection, kind of end of story, right? We're not really dealing with it much beyond that. Um, I feel like, yes, it would be time to just be like, yeah, let's undo that weird <laughs> decision because nobody wants to spend time with it anyway, you know? And then you can have those characters back and that can be a part of their history, but something we don't really talk about. So, all right, what else do we got? Do, 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 do. Okay, so uh, X-Force number 31 today was writer Ben Percy, artist Robert Gill, guru EFX on colors, Joe Caramagna on letters. It does claim to be a Judgment Day tie-in, as X-Force number 30 did. 
unlike X-Force number 30, it actually ties in to Judgment Day. <laughs> it actually is aware that it is a part of the event. It is a insignificant tie-in. It is very skippable as a tie-in specifically, but it does acknowledge the fact that there is a giant celestial in the world judging all of humanity. Uh, Craven the Hunter tries to fight him. Sadly, that goes nowhere. I would have loved to have seen Craven scaling a celestial trying to take him on. Like, why, why that's not in this book is forever lost time. <laughs> that's one of the great missed opportunities. Um, but that doesn't happen. Instead, Craven, Craven has, first off, been cloned and resurrected. Um, second off, he has been made aware that Krakoans have conquered death and that they're now the ultimate power on Earth. And, of course, that means he wants to go to Krakoa and, and hunt all the mutants. So we're slowly building to that in X-Force, uh, all of which has nothing to do with Judgment Day. Beast continues to be the absolute worst. Um, Deadpool and Omega Red are on the team now. X-Force has the pace. And, like, like even the, the turtle from the turtle in the hair is, like, pick it up, right? <laughs> like, like even, even the Flash villain, the turtle, is like, let's go. Come on, we have places to be, right? We're 31 issues into this. The pace of this book is sludge, absolute sludge. Great-looking book. It always looks nice. I think Percy can write quite well. <laughs> you know, the, the, the sort of machismo hunter stuff very much within his wheelhouse. But this book is just absolute sludge. Uh, it goes nowhere, and it goes nowhere hard. Um, I mean, the additions of Deadpool and Omega Red at least give it a little bit of life. You know, there's there's something more happening there. Um, but just like, holy cow, holy cow. But yeah, very passable, very skippable, I think, uh, as, as a tease, or as a, a tie-in, rather, to the comic. Um, technically, it's, it is set during Judgment Day. But do you need to read it? Will it add anything to Judgment Day? Absolutely not. Uh, X-Men number 14 is slightly better as a tie-in. Um, it's got a really cool issue name, which is Eight Minutes Till Death. I wish it did more with that and was structurally and sort of craft-wise played with the eight minutes that were allowed. It doesn't. Uh, it's primarily an Iceman feature. Um, and it's good as that, I guess. Uh, apparently, the Celestial Judgments are also based on just, like, how cool people are. <laughs> like, like this. so there's this Celestial God judging all of humanity, and if they get a thumbs up, humanity can carry on. If more people get a thumbs down, then they'll wipe out all of humanity. And Cyclops today was just like, hey, you can't judge me, and just, like, talk real cool to him. And uh, <laughs> the Celestial was like, okay, <laughs> I guess that's all it takes. I mean, X-Men fans will obviously be thrilled that Captain America got a thumbs down and Cyclops got a thumbs up. I'm sure that is exciting to the sorts of fans who have X-Men vs. Avengers running constantly in their heads. Um, I don't know. I thought it read cool, but it was goofy. <laughs> I don't understand what's going on with the Celestial Judgments, but it was it read very cool. I, I have no arguments there. But yeah, I mean, otherwise, I don't know. Like this, this The previous issue of X-Men was very additive in terms of like, oh, here's kind of what's happening behind the scenes during the big event stuff. This one is way less so. Um, but it's it, it actually brings in like a new threat, like like a game world connected thing from Duggan's X-Men um, as a thing the X-Men need to deal with while they're at war with the Eternals, uh, which is a good idea. I like it as an idea, but it's, it's relatively inessential, I suppose, as like, is this adding anything to the event narrative? Not especially. Not especially. 
All right. Uh, so those are our comics today. That's it. All right. So get in some questions. I'm going to have a swig of water, and then we can talk about that. Otherwise, we can talk about X-Men 92. Okay. So I caught up on X-Men 92. This is the out-of-continuity um, play on the animated series that came out from X-Men from 1992 to 1995, or 96, whatever it is. It's coming back as X-Men 97 on Disney+. Plus. It's written by Steve Fox. We got art by, I think, Salva Espin. The first issue, this will be kind of spoilery. If you haven't read this, my rec is to read it, to leave now, and go read it, okay? Because I'm going to spoil a twist of sorts. It's not a huge twist if you've read House of X, but it kind of is for this. Um, so the first issue reveals that the Moira presence in the animated House of X is none other than Jubilee, which is very funny and very smart. And what it does is it signifies very, very clearly that this is the animated series version of House of X, right? So it's looking at what characters were available in the 90s, what were they like, what were they dressed as in many cases, and also like who were the presences on this show that would have been in these types of moments. So it restructures everything so that Jubilee is the mutant, who is our our POV character from Night of the Sentinels when, when X-Men 92 debuted, um, that she is reliving lives and that she is setting up Krakoa and that kind of all, she's the mastermind behind all of this. It's brilliant. It's perfect for this. It works really, really well. Each subsequent issue so far, and there have been four of them, then takes on one of the biggest elements of House of X. So like the first issue is the setup of the nation. The second issue is the House of X number two, Jubilee's Lives kind of thing which is great. There's all sorts of artistic call-outs to different characters that are incredibly fun. Then the third, then we really jump. Then we really have to move, right? And this is where you get into the, it's only five issues. We're going to move. Um, the third issue is the crossing of swords, as they call it, okay? So it's the Ten of Swords event done in one issue. I would be willing to bet that a lot of fans who soured on Ten of Swords would read this issue, X-Men 92, House of X number three, and say this is Ten of Swords done right. It's really smart. It's really smart. It's super fun. The design choices they make, like when we meet Genesis, for example, and she's just Apocalypse, <laughs> but with a big G on her belt. That's so fun. That's so fun. The villains they pick, the Ten Swordsmen that they pick across the aisles. I love it. I love this book. This is going to go down as one of my favorite Marvel books of the year, I think unquestionably. The fourth issue does... The Hellfire Gala and Planet X. They've got their own Orcus, which is very 90s X-Men focused, right? Of course, you got your Cameron Hodge, you got your Bolivar Trask, you got GW Bridge, who's mostly in Punisher comics during that era. Um, you got Lady Deathstrike, right? It actually feels way more tied to familiar X-Men stuff and familiar Marvel stuff than what we're getting now, which is actually some really new stuff. Um, there's a hilarious Deadpool joke even in Ten of Swords, like, it is so good. If you've been on the fence about this because it's this weird out-of-continuity nostalgia project, I get that, but it is delightfully fun. Uh, I definitely benefited from loving that series to begin with, right? X-Men 92 is, like, a big reason why I love superhero comics and, and love the X-Men. Um, but also just, like, obviously familiarity with House of X and Powers of Ten. I just... Because we're kind of so far removed... From that starting gate, seeing something revisit it with so much life and energy and goofiness is is really a blast. Really, really blast. 
I've been enjoying the heck out of it. So that's a high, high recommendation to check out X-Men 92 if you are so inclined. All right, we got a few minutes for questions. Let's see if we got anything here. Otherwise, we will call it on this early Wednesday live stream. What stories can Havoc star in as a member of the X-Men? Uh, yeah, Havoc getting on the X-Men was kind of weird, right? Because he's obviously in Hellions. He's still got, like, some really unresolved Axis-era difficulties of, like, he's got a kind of a high Jekyll personality thing going on. Um, I mean, certainly during a Dark Web crossover, if we're bringing Madeline Pryor into the fray, you gotta pull Havoc out for that because of his perpetual sort of semi-unrequited love there. Um, Havoc's a tricky character. He really is, because he kind of only gets to be... I mean, he's done. he's been in a bazillion books, right? Like, with X-Factor and... Um, but, like, you know, the big stuff, the memorable stuff, is very much, like, Summer's family stuff and him kind of getting, you know, hanging on to Scott's coattails, uh, you know, and stuff with Madeline Pryor. So, I don't know. That's a weird choice. I'd be really curious why Havoc was selected. I would like to see more about the specifics there. Um, maybe you could bring... Havoc and Cyclops into like, hey, we should do something about Gabriel, our other brother. <laughs> Remember him? Who's going through a really weird, mysterious, alien-infused sort of uh, subplot right now in X-Men comics. Um, maybe you could take it that direction. That'd probably be the thing I'd be most interested in. Let's see. What else do we got? Doo -doo -doo. I think the Jubilee twist is uninspired and lazy. They just gave her Moira's house powers storyline. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get it. <laughs> That's what this is, right? This is riffing on House of X and Powers of Ten. It's not a new thing. <laughs> That's all it is, is it's riffing on the original, but doing it through the lens of X-Men 92. Um, I think what feels to me, you know, the opposite of lazy is the care and attention that is put into the specificity of 90s characters and players who were big on the animated series while all this is happening. So, like, here's an example. Like, one super fun thing that happens is, so we know in Krakoa comics, when someone dies in Tenosaurus, Rockslide, for example, when they die in Otherworld, they come back weird. They come back different. So Steve Fox and company, they play with that. Beast shows up there. He dies. The loquacious, lovable Beast then comes back. When he comes out of his egg, which is a giant, goofy egg in this version, in the animated version, uh, he's Dark Beast. He's just straight-up Dark Beast from the Age of Apocalypse. That's a very fun way to get to a popular 90s version of a character using the same sort of ethos and thinking of the original event. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're you're not wrong that it's that it's a mirror, but that's intentional. Let's see, what else? Will Marvel do something big next year to honor X-Men turning 60? Um, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Marvel, Marvel would declare the 59th year anniversary a celebration if they thought people would buy more of a thing, right? Like, that is all they care about. Um, yeah, no further, no further questions, Your Honor. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, let's see. During Axe, Iceman turned into a kaiju. How does that work? Iceman's abilities are, like, pretty nebulous. It kind of just depend on the, the writer and the artist that were. I mean, at various times throughout X-Men history... So, like, Age of Apocalypse, Bobby, he has turned into a giant kaiju. Um, he creates tons of little Bobbies to run around, you know, and be his minions. Uh, Iceman, and today, like, you know, in X-Men 14, we see Bobby, um, create a sheet of ice to protect the world <laughs> from what, like a solar flare thing coming to land, a meteor come to land on Earth. You can kind of just do anything. Um, with ice, I think the thing with Bobby is, like, he has to, 
he has to be like mentally in that space and to be aware of what it is he can do. I mean, that's kind of always the challenge with him. That's the big thing. When Emma Frost takes over his body or his consciousness in the 90s, um, one big one of her big learnings there is like, you're limiting yourself so tremendously. You could be doing so much more. And he just doesn't quite realize it. So that's kind of always been his journey. Um, but yeah, he can kind of just make himself anything out of water and ice, at least historically. Uh, I think it's possible that Sins of Sinister is spurred on by Sinister obtaining Iska's DNA somehow. I feel like that's the only way he's getting to the top, even with the Moira clones. I think the Moira clones are enough, frankly, for Mr. Sinister, uh, but that would be a cool twist. That would be a very cool twist. Do you find the building of a celestial problematic? How do I make the jump that this is possible to really buy into the entire storyline? Um, I mean, I, this is the thing about Marvel Comics, is you have to make the jump that celestials exist. <laughs> That's part of the story, right? Like, we have to make the jump that there are these giant alien space gods that look like big old Transformers drawn by Jack Kirby that showed up and made Eternals and Deviants and humans and planted the seeds for mutants to begin with. We make jumps all the time. We make jumps all the time in superhero comics. Um, I do think, you know, kind of what you're getting at, like four people, two Eternals, Tony Stark, Mr. Sinister, Fastos, I suppose, um, building a literal celestial is a weird idea. It is. I'll give you that, right? This idea of like, well, there are these gods out. Like, it'd be like, you know, if the Ultimates are like, we built a Galactus, Right? Like, that is somewhat challenging when you're dealing with these sort of cosmic entities. I suppose I understand that. I think what Gillen is getting at is is very metaphorical, very contemplative in terms of religious spaces in the sense of, like, how do humans make their gods? And what do they suggest of them? And what do they demand of them? What comes first? The gods or the humans thinking them up, right? These are the types of questions that I think as a creator they've always been pretty interested in asking. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there's there's definitely some mental acrobatics you have to do. But that is why I think the issue of Judgment Day in which the Celestial is built takes such great care to pull from so many elements of Marvel history in the building, right? They don't just do it from scrap. It's not just Tony Stark in a cave with a bunch of pieces of metal. They call on I, you know, as I talked about when I, I covered the issue, they call on like six or seven very specific celestial stories from Marvel continuity and how they're pulling all that stuff together. So it did the work, you know, it did the homework, it did the work. Um, but I, I do see what you mean in terms of like, you can just build a celestial, anybody can do that. I think that's the thing that was like, no, not anybody could do that. Almost nobody can except for this specific group with having found all these pieces of celestial history that they pull into it, right? Um, so I, I kind of, that's that's how I would answer that question. Uh, do you think the blindfold will be resurrected? Blindfold has been resurrected. Um, she's in Legion of X. I think that has already happened. All right, let's see. I can't buy that Craven beat Deadpool. Uh, I can, Deadpool loses all the time. Deadpool loses constantly. <laughs> he was also just coming off of Omega Red destroying him he was literally a head running away on a little hand, which is a good visual gag. Of course Craven beat him, right? Deadpool wasn't even together, practically. He had just been beaten to heck, and Deadpool loses all the time, constantly. 
How would the celestial judge you, Dave? Good question, Dave. Good question. Um, I think I'd get a big old thumbs down. I think I'd get a big old thumbs down. I think right now the two people that I can remember have passed are Druig and Cyclops. <clears throat> and Cyclops did it by acting real tough and cool. And Druig kind of is just real tough and cool. And I couldn't pull that off. I couldn't pull that off in a million years. I could try and I could pretend, but he'd be like, no, you're you're clearly not tough. You are softer than most marshmallows. You're out of here. Big old thumbs down. All right, I got time for any more questions. Okay, okay. I think we're going to do it. I'm Dave. You can find all my stuff at comicbookherald.com. You can find me online on social at comicbookherald. Showing up uh, most every Wednesday to talk about the week's comics and whatever's going on. I appreciate all you being here and asking good questions and uh, having a conversation. It makes it way more fun. Uh, thanks. We'll be here again next week. If you like these conversations, uh, like and subscribe to the Comic Carol channel. And, of course, then you'll find more about it. Any thoughts on the next X-Men issue featuring the children of the vault? Not until we get there. Not until we get there. I'm glad we're going back. My primary thought is I'm glad we're going back. I want to see how we handle it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And enjoy the comics.